Oh, man. We're doing it. Um, what's going on? We're doing this thing. It's a relatively new thing. Um, and it's called XXY. Uh, I make music under the name Grandson. That's a thing that I do. And uh, as I've been going along doing it and starting to have a little inkling of going on tour and playing shows and getting to meet other musicians, other people behind the scenes, um, I started to develop a real fascination for what makes them tick, what motivates them, what um, set them, whether it's set them apart um, in, in their nature or rather um, an evolution of how they got to this point. Um, I think in tracing back the history and talking about the future, um, the singular purpose for me is helping um, other people, whether it's through navigating their own mental health, whether it's empowering them, giving them a sense of agency in their own lives, or even getting involved and realizing that these um, issues that are affecting us politically um, are important, are important to give a shit about. Um, those are the places that I find my why, that I um, derive a lot of purpose out of. And so we're having conversations with people that have accomplished great things in, in music and beyond um, in hopes that other people can, can, can learn a thing or two about themselves through these conversations. And uh, we have Kevin Lyman here to hang out. I don't know how. Uh, shouts out Ashley uh, and, and shouts out everybody behind the scenes. But we, we get to have a conversation now. So, so thank you so much Thanks for coming for, on. Thanks for having me on. It's a nice new studios here. So yeah, it's pretty it's clean at Adobe. Adobe's moving up in the world. Yeah, awesome. let's go. Not bad. Good for fish. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not even really 100% sure where to start. I think that um, I'm sure you've done it 8 million times, but maybe we could just get a, a really quick overview of um, the history of y- y- your experience as um, an event planner, concert thrower, mastermind behind the scenes, the evolution of Warp Tour, and some of the things you've been working on now, if, if well, you'd be willing to indulge I think us. it's it's interesting now, you know, you know, semi-post-Warp Tour, I guess I wouldn't normally have been in here now announcing lineups or playing music in a different sense. But, you know, when you really start to break down your life, which I'm going to be 59 coming up here in a few weeks, um, you start looking at it and go, you're, you're, my ultimate philosophy was music, philanthropy, and education. Um, they were all drivers. Music always drove everything I did. I, you know, a huge fan of live music. Uh, never asked me to be in the studio, but you know, I found that drive through live events and live. Um, so I was always trying to thread those other two parts um, mm. through it. Um, you know, growing up in a little city east of here in, in Southern California called Claremont, it was kind of a blending of kind of there was an education with all the Claremont colleges there. There was kind of a hippie culture there and a kind of a counterculture in that city that we always seemed like we were trying to do something to help someone. Um, we were either there was great peace marches across the country and they got stuck in the desert and we would throw a concert to get them Parmesan cheese because they said they were living on noodles. I mean, just remember things like that. So, you know, and, and then as I gravitated semi more to the punk rock scene, um, this would be you know, late seventies, early eighties, I started realizing that, you know, punks and hippies and a lot of people hate me for this had a lot of the same philosophy. Uh, we, we wanted we wanted change. We, we had ideas that we wanted to be, our voices heard. And, um, you know, one wore patchouli and one wore safety pens in my book. And, and I started, you know, through that scene and then, you know, cooking up with a company like Golden Voice early on. And uh, Gary Tovar, we were always doing benefit shows for something. 
Uh, we were doing shows, the first Rock the Vote shows, the Rock for Choice shows. We would do shows, uh, you know, for Tibetan freedom. Uh, we would do, you know, there was always something going on. We were a very active music scene in Los Angeles. Uh, and then, you know, I was lucky enough in 1995 to to start the uh, Warp Tour and became the band's Warp Tour. And I don't think, I think maybe a potential slight mistake. I always felt you just do things because you thought they were right. You didn't go out there and do them because you, you wanted accolades or you wanted things. But I think in some ways, it's funny now that I'm kind of post Warp Tour and you put professor in front of my name now, people are going, they want to hear that story. You say, you worked with over 100 nonprofits each summer. You helped launch nationally. You helped A Voice for the Innocent to write love on her arms, keep abreast. You, you took those people. But we really didn't know you did all that. We always looked at Warp Tour as a place for music. And I, and I, I wish sometimes, I guess, maybe we should have talked about that a little bit more. Um, I think internally within our circles of artists we worked with, um, people that toured on the road. But maybe we should have, maybe we should have made a bigger deal about that. Uh, we were always kind of out there like I always felt Warped Tour was just doing its thing, uh, flying under the radar most of the time. Um, and then, you know, you kind of get to that point, been doing it a very, very long time. And uh, around, I, th- I saw that a couple, few years ago that unfortunately my, pa- my passion and love of music was going away. Um, I wasn't listening to music for anything more than thinking about booking it. And uh, you were always listening to music because um, someone was like, oh, this band would be great for your tour or, oh, you should be, you know, put them on the label and help my label or something. I wasn't really listening to music. So I knew it was time to get out a little bit. Um, I was, wasn't getting goosebumps. And I always tell people that the minute you stop getting goosebumps is when you need to start looking for something else to do. And I felt like I wasn't really, I wasn't being driven by the real reasons I got into this. So I started really looking at, and then, you know, it's fortuitous timing sometimes when I was approached to, uh, by the University of Southern California to, to become a professor there. I wasn't looking for a job necessarily at that moment. And they uh, approached me. And I really thought about it, and it was, it was tough sometimes for me uh, in a sense that I, I do a lot of speaking at community colleges with young people and everything, and some people were like, well, why would you go to a school like USC? Why, you know, USC is known as, you know, I don't know, University of Spoiled Children. You've heard them all through the whole things. But I really, you know, I think this journey of mine has really allowed me to understand business. Um, I've been involved in, in multiple successful businesses, not beyond Warp Tour in my past, and I go, it's it's a good chance that these people, and it's, it's our society, and you have to understand sometimes you're just a microcosm of society, that a lot of these people are, are going to maybe be running businesses in the future. And if they're running businesses, and you could take that philosophy that you've always had, that you want to have philanthropic parts of your business, you want to have, you know, you want to educate people, you want to treat people well, it might be a good fit. And um, they've allowed me to come over there. I'm very proud of, uh, I don't, preach to my kids about things, but 80% of my students now build philanthropic thought into their business plans. Um, and I haven't taken a breath. You haven't asked another question. I just rambled. You wind me up and I keep going. You're a fucking badass, But dude. So what ends up happening is, you know, and then there's still a lot of things going on out there in the world that I can now focus on. 
you know, rather than booking a tour and worrying about doing 42 cities and, you know, the weather, climate change, which I'm a pretty good expert at telling you the climate is changing after not only Warp Tour, but Lollapalooza, 28 straight summers of being out there and watching the storms getting stronger. The, 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 the patterns uh, are, are much more severe. Uh, the storms come from different directions than they used to come. Uh, you know, I got tired of running towards the lightning. That's what I would say. I was always, I was always the one that had to run towards the lightning on everything. Mm. And if you choose to do that in this world, that's going to be, you know, whether it's uh, getting the people safe from a parking lot or when you're addressing something um, that you feel maybe is unjust. And, you know, trust me, I, and my, my career took some heat at different times. Uh, but I, I, I still believe in due process. I still believe there was things out there that, that needed to be addressed. So I decided to step back and, and, you know, it's, it's now allowed me. And then all of a sudden doors are opening up. Uh, you know, it was great with Talinda Bennington, Chester mm-hmm. Bennington's wife approaching me and telling me that, you know, she, of course, everyone comes to me and goes, let's do a tour. Let's do a tour of mental health. And I'm like, for my own mental health, I can't do a tour right now, but maybe we can think through this. And, and that led to the 320 project. 320 was uh, Chester's, a birthday, and uh, and then I'm like, oh wait, I'm now a professor. Maybe I can go into the educational world and create a class, which I have. And 20 students had to write a mission statement on why they a, a festival of mental health awareness and education would be important to them. Uh, we accepted 20. There was 25 wrote the thing, and now we still have 15 of them working. And and we're really excited about where this has gone. I mean, it's going to be May 9th at LA Live. It's going to be a free community event. Um, the majority of it will be free. Uh, from 11 to 5, we're going to have now we have over 40 mental health organizations that have signed up to come down because I believe we have the resources out there. A lot of people just can't find them. Mm-hmm. We have lots of avenues to help people, but where do you turn? Actually, I'm going to need a pen to take some notes because I have 15 different things I want to talk about right now. So yeah. give me that marker right there. First off, um, yeah, there's a million things to talk about there. One thing that you, you brought up that I quickly wanted to address is I, I ask myself a lot about – thank you so much um, – you know, whether or not uh, – by Trojan horsing in these um, elements of um, philanthropy, of, uh, 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 of providing resources, but that the Warped Tour was first and foremost this badass – you know, collection of your favorite bands all getting together and coming to your city like like a, like the, the traveling circus and fairs of, of the early 20th century. Um, now, I, I don't think people might have recognized at the time. I think that I think that time will be very kind to Warp Tour in terms of how it provided a space. I think that a lot of those bands that you were booking, a lot of the people that were going to those shows were struggling with mental health, were very impacted by the sorts of outlets that um, were provided, not just through the cathartic expression of these songs, but through those sorts of um, outreach programs you were bringing to people's front door. I do think there is a lot more access than ever before to help if you're looking for it, but um, taking that first step can be incredibly intimidating, incredibly daunting. Um, And I guess my question is, when putting together something like 320, in, in being upfront and going, hey, we are building a, a festival, we are building an event around wellness, around health, around su- suicide prevention, do you think that Warped Tour would have been as successful in pr- pr- promoting those sorts of ideals um, if people had known upfront how important that was 
to you? And, and, and do you think that um, – where do you think the intersection is of – of art, of commerce, and of philanthropy, and, and where and how does that hierarchical structure exist in such a way that you can make the maximum amount of difference? Well, when you say Trojan horse, I guess that that's, would be a good analogy. You know, it's, It was the idea that people genuinely, when you create fun, and if they're having fun, their minds are much more open. So I'd, I'd worked a lot of shows and benefit shows where there was people on stage preaching at you and pounding the table and it was kind of the primary focus of that and I just don't you know I I always was like and it goes back to that education side that when you really have some deep thought of people that really understood what warped was they were like that was the largest classroom in America Mm. and I always looked at it as the largest classroom in America had about a half a million students Uh, 90% of those students are going to be somewhere having they're going to come out and have a good time they're going to learn about their favorite bands they're going to have a fun day in the sun you're going to get sunburn. And then the kids who flunk out got kicked out. So it was like, you know, it was just, but there was that 10% that are going to kind of semi overachieve. Mm-hmm. So they become part of the whole culture. So they're not only there looking at bands, but they were coming to look at what's drive going to drive me. What do I, am I going to stand for? Wait, these people stand for my favorite bands. I can stand for them. I could sign up for a voice for the innocent. I could be to write love on arms, heart support, all these, I'm going to find someone that I can get involved in my community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was, you know, a big part of it was I didn't, you know, I felt that, you know, when people are having fun, I think it was the way we Trojan horse into everything. We Trojan, Trojan horse into corporate America to right. support punk rock. Mm-hmm. You know, we gave them a, a platform, but they gave us some financial support to be able to bring a tour around all these kids. And Warped was always a tour for, I always felt it was not for everyone. And I will say that today. I will say the Warped tour was never for everyone. Um, a lot of people just didn't get it. A lot of people will, will never have got it. But you know what? I always said it was for the smart kids because they had to figure out they had to figure out their schedule each day. They had to f- remember their canned food for the food drive, their old cell phones. You know, they were engaged. Did they donate blood? Are they going to get a chance to go backstage? So those kids had to be engaged from a from a super early point. That ten percent. The other ones were just come and have a good time, and right. that's okay. That's really what people. You know, it was. And then there was people that would come to work and go, "I don't get this. This is not for mm-hmm. me. This is crazy." But you know what? It's it's you do, and, and you know you're gonna. Of course, the vocal people would be maybe the the ones who would post online or something that they hated the, the warp tour, the negative the negativity tour. But you know what? You had those one on one conversations. You still have those conversations. People still do, and it did really make people feel like they had a place where they could go and yeah. be accepted. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that we've had the opportunity. Um, we've been asked to play a couple conferences, uh, festivals that are sort of diluted in, well, what are we doing here? Is this a music festival? Um, is this a series of lectures? Um, and sometimes I feel that the the ambition of trying to make a difference um, can be such that um, the, the amount of people that are going to volunteer their money and time to go to something that is that broad a scope um, without their favorite bands being booked on it, without the, the fun being sacrosanct being paramount um you end up not making much of a difference at all even though you might be more um your your ego might be able to be satiated and go and look at the difference that i'm making and and i've been struggling with that at at trying to build a philanthropic um component to my artist work we we tried to set up a non-profit and and really quickly we realized the 
amount of effort it that takes to run uh, an effective and meaningful uh, nonprofit is is really a lot more than most artists. Most artists want to make a difference. And most artists want to feel like they're making a well, difference. Well, you know, and that I see it more happening again. I think the artists out there, you go to a show now and you see tabling again, mm-hmm. whether it's head count, mm-hmm. you see them out at shows now. That's an easy way for an artist to get involved. Right. And really, it is a lot to have a nonprofit. I have my foundation and everything. But an artist, I always believe, especially, it's, it's simple to stand for something, whether you're going to collect pet food. Um, I went down to the Palladium and I went saw Joyce Manor and a few bands and they're collecting pet food out in front of the Palladium for the local shelter. Totally cool. Mm-hmm. You know, but the shelter kind of managed it. They put it out there through their messaging and their fans right. brought it. They, it didn't take a lot out of their days to make that happen. Right. Absolutely. And so I think artists can look at it and, and find affiliations with, with people that they believe in. And, you know, it doesn't have to be political mm-hmm. because some people are always nervous about the political things because it might alienate part of their fan base. So you're start, but you're starting to see people realize that, you know, yeah, if you stand for something in life, you're going to alienate someone. Yeah, and, and if you can be so lucky as to give a fuck and be in a position to piss some people off with your sense of identity and, and with your with your sense of justice, your sense of purpose... Um, and you know, I, I want to really quickly shout out a, an organization called RPM, um, who I worked with through Atlantic and I was able to have my, uh, message and my fan base, my project really serve as an exoskeleton where RPM could come in and go, look, give us some, some causes that you're passionate about. We can help build the infrastructure and make these, um, inlets, make these connections with these organizations. All you have to do is put the XX branding on it and get some kids at these shows to give a shit, donate a portion of the merch, donate a portion, you know, and, and by making, by taking the time, but for somebody to dedicate their lives to making that a little bit easier for artists, you're making it easier for fans and you're making the world a better place. And, uh, I think those things are important. And, it sounds like very early on you were always framing what you were doing through a lens of how can I help people, how can I make a difference, and I'm curious where that came from for you. If you had mentors along the way, where did your sense of right and wrong really and you come don't really, from? You don't really, you know, it's always weird. Was it, you know, maybe I give back a lot, and you know, it, it would take some deep psychology thing to see. Maybe it was because I was adopted, and, and someone gave me a chance. You mm. know, um, I felt I had opportunities that maybe I wouldn't have had. Um, but it was like, you know, just, it was really, when I look back, it was kind of probably growing up around that Claremont area and just being exposed to musicians like David Lindley, who were the no nukes concert and Jackson Brown used to hang out and, and these people used to hang out in Claremont and, and I'd kind of by exposure to what they were doing and how easy it was when people get together to do something good. Um, I was lucky enough a couple of weeks ago to, to do this, uh, Australian fire relief benefit and. So fun from three weeks to the end of the show, like a three week window. We sold out Club Novo, and it was Joe Rogan and Whitney Cummings and and uh, Jim Jeffries and Monty Franklin. And to watch it when a community can pull together, how quickly they can move, and you can throw in your little support. I was able to help with the venues and things. You know, it 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 works. So there was that group, and then I think it was kind of you know I used to sell egg rolls in the Grateful Dead parking lot, and uh, I used to watch Bill Graham. Uh, Bill Graham, one of our legendary promoters. Um, out there and he was always doing something just little things for his community and you know he cared about he cared about those fans the fans that were there he developed things like rock med 
because you know the med- the medical situation was horrible at Grateful Dead concerts because a lot of people were potentially you know having a bad trip or bad things, and he just cared about his fans. Um, so I think we evolved. You know that was what we we would confront new issues, and I tell I never learned some things were easy when I used to do board aid and boarding for breast cancer and these snowboarding events, and those charities naturally progressed with me. But then we had to confront issues you know, that maybe didn't exist. So that's really like when I went to with a voice for the innocent, I'm self-taught. I never went to school for any of this. And I found went and found some people and, and used my resources to help bring them to the national forefront when I saw that kids. Or with Jamie when he was doing To Write Love in His Arms and he was really a Florida-based uh, nonprofit but by helping him come out and give him a national platform. So I think like 320, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, are you going to do this? And like, Kevin, how are you going to do these in every city? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm just going to build the model that other people can duplicate. Mm. Um, I'm funding this myself at this point um, and believe in it enough to do it. But maybe this could be a model that could be duplicated. And if, if an organization like SMG, AEG, can give they have 300 facilities across the country i know you're watching this give this man a fucking give give this man a venue please so you know maybe there'll be people within their community just similar to maybe how people have done basement shows where Mm -hmm. entry points three cans of food Mm -hmm. and i would get emails that say i did a canned food drive in my basement and had a concert and we collected 35 cans of food i'm like awesome you know so you just leave little things and you hope a few people that comes but ultimately I realized I was going to be less effective continuing to do it the way I was doing it, uh, both mentally and physically. You know, and people couldn't believe I was still out there working the way I did. Um, and now I'm focused in a more structured environment of, of the university program system, even though I'm tipping over a few boats over there in the meantime. Um, we'll see how long um, they, they let me get away with some of this stuff right now. But we're working really hard on it. And then kind of work more in my community and maybe send other people out to do that giant national heavy heavy lift. Yeah. Well, I think by setting up the infrastructure and leading by example, there's no telling the, the different ways that, that that legacy can can live on and and hopefully somebody can do it even better, you know? Yeah, that's and, what I always uh, say. One of, my big, one of my big regrets is not blowing up fast enough to be able to do Warped Tour before it closed. Well, you and, know, the, there's that, that thing about, you know, it was, it was talking to a lot about a lot of people right now about, you know, there was when I started Warped Tour, there was Lollapalooza. And uh, people, I, one time I heard, overheard a comment from someone I respect and see all the time, but he said, what is that guy trying to do? Beat a dead horse mm. with Lollapalooza. And I says, no, I was reinventing the wheel. I was doing something completely made. When everyone was going right, I was going left, you know, with this project and trying things completely different. So when I hear a lot of people, there's been a lot of talk, what's going to replace Warped Tour? What, you know, I, or people have tried to duplicate it or put something out. I'm going, you have to create something completely, totally different that sets the world on fire Warped managed to set a certain community on fire for a long time. Sounds like a couple bands were literally set on fire. Yeah, we had a few outhouses set on fire. There's some stories there, but that's that's the other radio shows, you know. (laughs) Story time with Kevin, but um, you know, I think that's what we're right on. We're right on that cusp of of bands and people and everyone realizing they just need to stand for something, Mm. and um, it's it's exciting in some ways. Uh, maybe we needed to let our country become what it was, and and someone come into power um, to maybe wake people up. But it's been coming for a long time. Mm-hmm. We all got too complacent. Uh, we all sat around. We all thought things were so you know just everything was great because we were watching cats on Instagram. Right. 
We're going to take a quick break, and then we're just going to keep rolling here, man. What a fucking pleasure. And we're motherfucking back. Unless you want to take a longer break. No, I'm fine. Let's go. Um, yeah, wow. I, I'm, I'm curious. It sounds like, you know, I feel that um, the intersection of, of progressive uh, movements and music, it seems to be these, these ripples of um, so many people were so inspired by and... and uh, in my generation, by the '60s, by by the peace movement at the time, by the anti-Vietnam sentiment, and then Martin Luther King gets shot in the head, and Jimi Hendrix chokes on his own puke, and within like it, it seems that every single time young people get excited about something, uh, they have a, a very quick window to make any meaningful change before that seems to give way to expressionism. It seems like there is this um, artistic drive to um give a fuck about the world around us let our art be a time capsule for the environment around us and then when confronting the degree to which these systems are in place we retreat into our own feelings our own thoughts because those things cannot be um cannot be taken cannot be cannot be pinned down and then the uh, the, the movement kind of dies um, having watched a, a couple of those come and go, uh, I'm curious um, I, I, whether you remain optimistic about um, uh, music's capacity to make change um, and, and just your your relationship to that intersection, which is something that I've been really passionate about and trying to remain optimistic about. And there are times where I feel like I'm very proud of that and other times where I feel very naive. In believing in it. Well, you know, I think the overstimulation we have sometimes, you know, we're, we're getting news sources from so many different places and, and like microcosms of like what we listen to, you know, someone that listens to Fox all day long has their narrow vision of society and one, someone who MSNBC. So, I, you know, can music make change and difference? I was always saying like every generation when something in politics seems to go, there would be great punk songs written. I'm a little disappointed right now in a lot of bands that you would be looking for these big rallying songs, not putting them out. Mm-hmm. Are they been told by their labels that you don't want to alienate people or piss people off? Don't write those big anthemic songs, you know. Um, will Rage Against the Machine, which sparked a generation of people to passionately get out. They had a lot of influence and I was working out at Coachella, and when Rage played there, there was actual talk of a revolution starting in the campgrounds. And I was running the campgrounds, and there was a whole group out there. You know, uh, you know, is are, is can music instill that right now, or are we using music as just such a background to our lives? You know, we're digesting. You know, Spotify's playing all the time. Are we really listening to the lyrics? Are, are we hearing songs that are really, really can drive a, a generation? Uh, we have to. I mean, you know. You know, but it becomes overwhelming if you, if you read the news every day, and you just it, it can become overwhelming, and that causes mental. You know, we have the highest rate of mental anxiety in this country uh, right now, and I think a lot of it is driven by our media, uh, the anxiety that we're all under. Uh, you need to break from technology a little bit. You need to get outside. You need to slow down a second, and realize that you know digest it, but then really think it. Don't just let it keep flooding and bouncing off you and bouncing off of you and not really understanding what's going on. You see what's going on with coronavirus right now. Uh, That social media is driving coronavirus right now. Uh, Coronavirus is an important thing to understand, but it's, it's, 
it's not something we should be panicking about. You know, there's schools, there's shutting down community events, there's all these things that, you know, I don't know, I just think we, we react, that's the problem, we react so quick to something that it doesn't stick because it's the, the swell comes and breaks and then we're on to the next thing. And I feel like I don't want to give him too much credit, but I do feel that, that the current president of the United States does have uh, an innate understanding of kind of blitzkrieging our ability to discern uh, right from wrong, to discern what is, is a single um, uh, straw that, that ah. will break the back. It's just you're so busy frustrated with the thing that happened 30 minutes ago that you completely lose sight of uh, that this is a, a, a known criminal who has broken the law. That he's dismantling our na- national park system. He's did not, you know, he'd love to dismantle things, uh, you know, social safety nets. I mean, if you read the, the, the uh, budget that just came out that you know, we'll never pass. He's $800 billion yeah. in, in social services. It's, yeah, it's so, unbelievable. But it's, we don't have time to digest that because every little tweet we react to what crazy. The, crazy, the best thing you can do is just ignore him because he, he's driving the narrative through short bursts. What, in your opinion, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to work with Tom Morello and, and pick his brain a bit. And um, I'm curious um, – you know, uh, of the many things that that rage inspired, that there, there was, it, it, it inspired people to give a fuck. It, it, these iconic phrases of taking the power back and and fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. The way that those uh, lived for generations. I'm curious, um, in your experience working with so many bands, um, working around so much art, what are the things you think that contribute to real change being made and not just for six months but for 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 years i'm curious is it um a clarity of message what do you think that um that that concert promoters that artists do right um in advancing progressive causes well i think we need to you know understand and zero in as individuals and realize that we can't tackle the whole world there's too much. It becomes overwhelming. If you try to tackle it all, it overwhelms you. But pick what's one thing that you really, really want to grab onto and, and focus on that for a while and help make a difference there. You know, if you could help make a difference and if you, if you believe in the oceans and you go down and you get involved with Surfrider Foundation and you see those little things when they clean the beaches or the riverbeds and then you can see little incrementally things getting good, you can start expanding out. And that's what I really liked, like, you know, when we were able to take those blood drives, you know, the blood drives that we started on Warped Tour in a small regional fashion and th- take them to a national level. Uh, it wasn't overnight. It took us a few years to get there. Um, it, it will overwhelm you. I mean, you know, just if you allow it to. And that's mm-hmm. driving this whole mental health. And I think the road, you know, we talk about music a lot, about mental health and music. I mean, it's interesting as the dynamics of music have become streaming and touring and touring has become a bigger part of our lives. And we we all know that touring, um, the constant touring um, has increased Mm -hmm. mental health situations in our industry. Absolutely. Um, You know, there's no breaks anymore to reassimilate into our communities, the way that we used to be able to tour for, you know, six months and then you'd go out for knockout and then you have a year and a half off or something to, to assimilate. So I, I think, I just think we're all going to have to, you know, but you have to put yourself in other people's shoes too. You have to put yourself in other people's shoes and kind of see where they're at. 
Of the many, you know, I think that if people were to hear your story, read your story, they would think, here's somebody who has um, opportunities I've never had. Here's somebody who has uh, a a drive or ambition that I don't have. Maybe you could speak to one or two times where, um, in a relatable way, when when you felt overwhelmed in trying to accomplish these things or when you were really excited about a certain initiative that didn't... Wow, uh, <laughs> wow you, you, you have those and you learn from them. I, trust me, I can, in the last few weeks, you know, I mean, one of the biggest things about the, the 320 Project, there was this large free community festival and then using Club Novo for panelists and speakers and one-on-one counselors available. And then films. We're going to be doing the Blue October film, which is a very interesting film about Justin and his journey from becoming very, very hot, selling a couple million records, to depression of the road. Depression leads to addiction. Mm-hmm. But he came out the other side. So we'll be premiering his movie at, at that. But, you know, you get there. And it was starting to overwhelm me because... You know, I, I went out to our music community and, and probably spoke to a hundred agents and bands and managers and people and had this Microsoft Theater idea to do a, a benefit show that all the money that would be split up amongst all the nonprofits at this event and really, really, really reconfirms you sometimes that if you allow it, this music business is, is will break your heart all the time. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't getting anywhere, but I just sat back and just said, you know what, I'm going to turn this thing around. We've shrunk the size of the venue. We're going to do it at Club Novo that evening. So now bands aren't looking at it as, oh, my gosh, we have to sell 7,000 tickets. It's a 1,400-seater ticket. And I can't really announce the bands yet, but the lineup is so awesome. And, and people step forward right away. Just got to re- – you know. and I was really bummed. I was totally bummed. Um, I was working on a big project for the summer, a, a touring – basically a warp tour of gaming that they brought me in to, to instill into the gaming community, which I think – is, is their own community in a sense. And literally in the last week and a half, that, that project went away. So you just get up, you get up, you, you get bummed out, and then you, then you just look at it and go, I, my motto's always been, all I'm going to do is run out of time. Mm. You hit a certain point. And then you find a great book I think every person that's listening to this should read. It's, it's called Ikigai, um, a Japanese philosophy of life where, you know, you find your passion, you find out what you're good at. You know, what creative and then how you can make money. You know, the, the money's at the bottom. So I do this Ikigai program. It's called Ikigai. It's a great way. Look it up online. Um, it's about finding your Ikigai is when you can find all these things and blend them together. Mm. And uh, and you work on it. It's funny because the, the making money is at the bottom. And I always say, well, if you're going to university, your parents are going to want to see you that at the top. But I've always said, you know, it, it, it's okay. You know, we, we learned early that it, it was okay – to make a living, um, and 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 I've done better than I ever thought I would have, but it was never taking advantage of the scene that allowed you to be in the middle of it. And, yeah, uh, think- and Icky Guy. So if you get a chance, if your listeners look up Icky Guy, there's great graphs online. You can learn a lot. And I think right now I've kind of found my Icky Guy. It's like you're going to get knocked back. Just get up, get going again, and 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 see where we're going. Because the only thing I'm going to do is run out of time. Mm. I don't know how much more time I have left. Mm. Wow. Let's take one last break and uh, and then keep talking right here on XXY. And we're back. Um, yeah, I, I I think that there are people that fancy themselves um, uh, that, that, that want to do what I do but might not have signed up for the 
eight years I spent getting high in a room alone trying to make beats that everybody hated. Um, you know, Ashley, who is one of the most accomplished rock photographers in the last 10 years, uh, people might want to be f- photographing the most famous artists in the world. They might not want to be doing street teaming um, on, the, uh, on the street somewhere trying to promote some concert that nobody's going to go to. Uh, I- I'm curious um, what advice you might have for people that want to accomplish great things uh, when it comes to putting together these sorts of events or making a difference in, in, in the space of mental health? It, it really is patience. You know, and you don't know how to instill that. We 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 got in such a thing. I was a, I worked 320 shows a year, helping other people look good, uh, chase their creativity, make their creative before I stepped out. So I was really allowed to fail. Mm. I had the support of people who allowed me to fail. Who were those people? Oh my gosh! You know, you you take the promoters across the country that that gambled on that first warp tour. You can take the artists, like no doubt and. Sublime, who came on that first tour, uh, I was, you were allowed to fail. And the problem is, in this world, you know, patience and and working, and people wanted, you know, nowadays people jump out too quick. It's in, in Australia, they call it the tall poppy syndrome. And the tall poppy thing is, a field of poppies grows up. And unfortunately, in this world, if the poppy grows too fast, and it's above the rest, someone will try to chop your head off. You know, build up that cachet and build up enough of a good reputation to get that chance. And that's what Warped was for me. It was my kind of I'm throwing this all in, which I did my own money I had saved and worked up from working 320 nights a year to go out and chase that. And and now it's just it's it's great. It doesn't get easier because especially when you challenge it, I mean, there was a lot of people talking about big mental health festivals, some of the radio stations and all this, and they weren't really going. We're going from the ground up. We're getting the organizations and the speakers involved first, and then hopefully the artists will see that this is something I want to attach. We didn't just go get a giant artist attached and call it a mental health festival. Mm-hmm. It's so it's, it, it hasn't – things aren't, aren't easy. They never get easier. Um, the path of least resistance and doing – and, and having good – being generous is not a weakness. And mm. unfortunately in our business, sometimes being generous and kind can be viewed as a weakness. Mm. And I think that in society, it's viewed not as a strength when it really is. Weakness is actually a strength. Yeah. And showing your weakness once in a while is okay. Yeah, I think that that, that really resonates with me. And I think a lot of young people um, – in this in the social media era, there is this um, instant gratification we're looking for. You want to be this finished product, um, and it's it's difficult to have the courage to um, present yourself in a vulnerable way and be honest with how much time this shit takes. Um, I, I, I'm 26 years old. There are artists that have accomplished a lot more than me at a lot younger in age, and uh, just trying to be consistent and trying to do the right thing and, and have a clear sense of that. And, you know, I've been very privileged to come from a family that instilled that, uh, that gave me the, the freedom to fail, uh, as you mentioned, and I'm sure that your kids would say the same. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't have that. And uh, I think that that's one of the best things that music can can be. And I, I think it's very unique to rock music as well, how 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 young people want a name for the fan base. They want to feel a part of a clique or the grandkids. They want to feel an identity because a lot of them might not have that. And um, 
I, I just hope that uh, with with the Warp Tour um, uh, taking a step back, and with hip hop music and 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 lots of other genres um, that I and personally am a, a huge fan of, eating up much more of the pie chart compared to rock music. I, I, I believe that rock has a unique relationship to community building and to vulnerability in that sense, and. Um, I just hope that the the young generation has spaces where they can do that. And uh, instead of waiting for somebody else to do it, I'm trying to do it right here with you. It's only a cycle. It'll come back. Rock's already, people are talking, rock's back, you know? I mean, um, it just moves quicker. The pendulum moves quicker now. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you, people want to jump on a wave. They don't realize <laughs> that pendulum goes quicker. Yeah. So, you know, when the pendulum's going this way, stick with what you believe in. And I think that's what we did for 25 years with Warped, you know, and, and I got to that point with, with Warped where it was, oh, you need to go get this artist, and you need to get this artist, and you need to get this artist. Then I would look into it, and, you know, and no offense, the SoundCloud rappers, they just didn't have great guidance going along with them. There wasn't this system behind them that would support them with their success. And look how many artists we lost. Mm. Look how many artists we've lost. And and I look back at our generation, you know, the 90s when I did a story in Rolling Stone recently, and you don't write the headline, but I said somewhere in the story, we've lost a whole generation of artists, those artists from the 90s. Mm. We really have. And I was in the middle of all that. Mm. I was out on Lollapalooza. I worked with all those artists. And, you know, we we now, I think we're starting to see it. And you you. Don't and you hate talking about artists as a commodity, but hey, when our our business is run by small group of record labels and a small group of promoters, if you don't, if we don't start taking, if they don't start taking care of the artists, I'm not a promoter anymore. I don't produce shows anymore. I'm doing this mental health festival, but if they don't start taking care of our artists, that's like killing off your commodity for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Mm. Um, who's going to fill those arenas when you look at the '90s? You know, Chris Cornell. You know. You know, it, it just, you know, Chester Bennington, you know, uh, Lane Stanley, you know, it goes on and on that we, those were the artists that were supposed to be filling the arenas now. So that's a commodity that's gone away. Who's going to fill those arenas? Because a lot of those older acts are starting to pull off the road. They're they're going out and doing maybe some casinos or something, but they're not going to tour that way anymore. And, and I'm, I'm afraid we, you know, when you really look at this period right here, those artists that were just, you know, you hope. You wish some of them could have made it through, but God, we've, they, you know, it's sad when you go to, when, when it's a, almost a memorial a month for one of our artists. Yeah. It's so hard to say no to as an artist, you know, as somebody that, uh, I've, and this is my first uh, time off the road for more than three consecutive weeks in two years, you know, and to be able to finally have the space that I didn't even know I needed to take, um, I feel very grateful as I was uh talking in an earlier episode that I at first met that with a lot of scarcity mentality. You know, I wasn't getting booked for some of these alternative radio festivals in December and we had a tour fall through in January, February. I'm going, what the fuck is going on? Is this, am I on, am I on the the, the down right now? I just got here. And, uh, in retrospect that these couple months for my own mental health and for my sanity, uh, I, I, I couldn't be more grateful for having the time off. And, uh, in the future, I hope that, uh, you know, we just – it's so oversaturated in so many ways. It's so tempting to to, uh, to want to just get on and stay on. And I think that that transcends music and there are people that are watching this that don't – they aren't in bands or anything. But, but, but trusting – I think the biggest thing that comes up when I think about those things is trust. Having trust that you can put yourself first. You can prioritize your own physical, mental health and know that you will be in a better place to succeed. You'll work more efficiently. You'll work better. Um, after you've had the time off. 
Real quick, I want to give a shout-out to Headcount, who have been um, helping put this thing on. And uh, we're giving away one of these sexy, beautiful Gibson guitars, acoustic. Hold on, I'm fucking it up. One of these bad boys right here is going um, and being raffled off every single month. Hold on, I'm fucking messing it up. Um, And all you have to do is get registered to vote. All you have to do, hold on, let me find my thing, is text VOTERXX to 40649 to sign up for Headcount Selection Alerts and enter to win one of these Epiphone guitars signed by me and a different artist that I'm putting a song out with every single month. Um, so it is 2020. It is a hugely important year. And um, you mentioned earlier the importance of just being passionate, of just giving a fuck. And um, I'm trying to, I keep trying to make this segment n- n- non-denominational. No, no. But hey, the bottom line is if you don't vote, you can't. You have no say. Yeah, just shut Stop. the fuck. You yeah. can't Either sit way, on Twitter. Whatever and have you gotta do, you gotta get out and vote. Stop. Don't complain if you haven't voted. In 2020, what's one singular issue that that is um, among the most important to you? Well, I I I would go if I had to categorize it. Uh, me- medical insurance in our in our country to me is very very important. Um, environmental issues. Uh, are, are number two, and rebuilding our reputation as a kind and combat, compassionate people to the rest of the world. I'm not saying open borders. I'm not saying that type of thing. Just that we are a kind and compassionate people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I always, when I travel to the country and I'd sit and tour all the time, and I, in the last few years, you would have, you would, my truck drivers and bus drivers, a lot of them grew up in the South and, and they're, they're, they're going to be very passionate or something. And I would say, when you really take guns as an issue and you would say guns, I think you could fix this because we always go back to the, the second amendment, you know, da, 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 you're going to take my, I'm going, would you add one word, the right to bear arms responsibly? Mm. 97% of the people when you really discuss what's responsible, well, would you, if you're not, would you be willing to take, you know, a background check just to make sure that you weren't a felon that you didn't have before you got that gun? Responsible gun ownership in this country. I don't think, you know, there's 3% on each side of politics right now that dictate the narrative. I mean, you can look at it maybe when you say the Bernie bros right now. And then the diehard Trumpsters. But 90, 94% of us can find common ground in this country. You really can. If we would all sit in a room and talk, we could find some common ground to build off of. But it's become so polarized, so driven by money right now, that, you, that common ground is so hard to find um, that I don't know. I just don't know. You know, it's going to take some very, very strong people. Um, I know some people say, you know, oh, you're wrong. You're going to go complete. But we, we, we really are a, a country of centrists mm-hmm. in a sense. We, we want to be able to work. We want to have medical insurance. You know, I think sometimes, and I've gotten in trouble with it, but who cares at this point? I say there should be an age that maybe the moment you start taking Social Security and Medicare that you don't – you're just guaranteed that we guarantee you you will be taken care of. But you know what? You're voting on the issues for people that are 50, 60 years younger than you, your life has changed. I'd be willing to give up my voting rights at some point if I needed to. 
Well, taking voter rights away, the, the idea that it's not a national holiday, the idea that you know that oh, these people. that these debates aren't publicly funded, the idea that we allow the um, dominating narratives to be in this for-profit. Um, to, to make elections a capitalist enterprise, um, I think that that uh, contributes to why young people don't give a fuck. They feel excluded from the but, conversation. But I always say, like, you know, if, if, let's say, and I don't know, whatever year, at 65, they said, okay, Kevin, you know, you're going to get, we're going to make sure your Medicare is covered, your, your, your Social Security, your, your rights to it, but you can't vote. I'd be the type of person that would go, well, okay, then I'm going to go make sure there's 10 people that do vote. I'm going to put my mm. time into registering other people to vote mm. and getting my message out on a personal level. So, you know, I have some ideas. Um, I don't know who, who listens I'd to them. I'd love to but... take people over the age of 80 and stuff them in a cannon and then just fucking fire them to the moon. That's how I would, that's how I would do it. Well, that's a little more <laughs> since my dad's pretty cool. He's 90. <laughs> you do a somersault. Um, all right. We've we, we, we got to wrap this shit up. I could literally do this all day, okay. and I would love to have you back at some point. Yeah. The last thing, you know, we're trying to drive home this, this why – and um, what's one piece of practical advice you'd give to somebody who hasn't yet found their why? Try everything. Don't narrow yourself into – don't narrow – keep your scope narrow. And I would just say like starting your why in music. I get so many people that say, I only want to work with this type of band. I want to work with this kind of – I go, I worked everything I possibly could. I exposed myself to every type of music out there. And then you start narrowing it down as your reputation grows. Mm. Or you find your why, find work, do some work with different nonprofits, find your community, do what you can do, and then you'll, you'll narrow down what that is. And then hopefully you get to a point, and like I said, look up Icky Guy, look at the draw, and then you find that, where you know what, I found it, and I'm in pretty good space right now. Good for you, man. Thank you so much for taking the time, and I think uh, a lot of people are going to learn a lot from this, so I really appreciate it. Thank you.